This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. I was a little scared. I sat there at the console and looked at it, and there were hieroglyphs in different lights. The other gray who was sitting next to me, I could tell it was a female. I don't know how, but I knew it was a female. Maybe it was the voice because they communicate telepathically. She kind of lifted her hands up and looked over at me like, you drive. And of course, I was really scared at that point. I was looking out this window, and we were going probably a thousand miles an hour through the trees, literally through the trees. Now, what can this be about? Well, there's someone here who knows a lot about this story and many others. I want to welcome Grant Cameron back to the, to the show, back to Dreamland. Uh, Grant is a favorite guest, of course, and I'm very happy to have you here with us, Grant. And Grant has been in UFO research for 38 years now and has been doing this very, very well for a very long time. And of course, has been on Dreamland. He's got his own podcast, and he's a he's really, really a major player in this in this world. And a major player in this world is suddenly saying that there are people who remember flying UFOs, and that we should believe this. Okay, Grant. One of those sections in the beginning of your book is called "When Is a Story Useful Evidence," and I think that if you could explain to us why you believe that these stories may be about something real, this is, let's start with that. Okay. So Gary Nolan, um, the uh, geneticist from Stanford University who's uh, been involved with UFOs and an experiencer, uh, said one story is anecdotal, two is evidence, and so when I suddenly got three dozen cases that all described this, I figured that this is very important. When I first heard it, you said I had been involved for 38 years. It was 38 years when I first heard the story. I've been in the circus for 48 years, almost half a century. But it was 38 years ago when I first heard the story in Phoenix, Arizona, from a woman that I had lectured at the uh, Phoenix group. And uh, it was a fairly big group. And then uh, Stacy Wright, who ran the group, said to me at the end, she said, are you still going to talk to Pam Dupuy? And I said, well, yeah, I guess so. And I thought, well, I, mean, I must have agreed to talk to this woman. And so she said, oh, that's good. She's coming to the house on Monday and you can talk to her. So I was sitting at this house on Monday and Pam and her partner came to the door. And she said to me, she said, what did Stacy tell you about me? And I said, I don't know. She just said I'm supposed to talk to you. So that's good. She comes walking in. And she tells me what Jacques Vallée, I think, more accurately describes is an absolutely absurd story. So she would tell me a story like she'd been abducted. She remember being two or three years old in a diaper in the middle of a field and the craft was leaving. And she had this the encounters of being trained in a circle, almost like the, the school type idea and all this sort of stuff. And you've heard this stuff before. So I was sitting there listening to her. And she was a lady probably in her 70s, early 70s at the time, mid 70s. And then she said to me, she said, oh, and I was uh, flying the craft last night. And I went, you were what? <laughs> I, I just couldn't believe it. She, I said, you were what? She said, I was flying the craft last night. And all I could think about in my mind was Saudi Arabian women at that point were not allowed to drive a car unless there was a man in the car with them. And I'm thinking, they let you fly the craft? And <laughs> so I'm thinking, you're going to be a 70-year-old lady, they're going to let you fly the craft? And she said, oh, yeah, I've flown three different models. And I, and I had I was either going to throw her out or I had to ask the next question. So I said, well, how do you fly craft? And she said, oh, you do it with your mind. And suddenly I realized what this is all about. And what it was is I had had this download experience, which I've talked about many times in 2012, when I'm watching Colin Andrews give a lecture on crop circles about consciousness. And suddenly in my mind comes this a, a sort of a, an awakening download that says this is about consciousness. This is what this is all about. And it came with absolute certainty. It just sort of threw me for a loop. And I suddenly made the turn going from presidents of the United States, what they knew, to this idea of consciousness, that consciousness was was part of this. 
And so when she said that this was you flew it with your mind, I knew why they had set me up with this woman. And that's the whole point of why this is important, because as Jacques Vallée points out, this is an absolutely absurd story. If you want to convince somebody and make up a story that you were on UFO, you're not going to start telling them, oh, I flew the craft. Like, who's going to believe that? And yet I had three dozen people who all one after another told me the same story. And these stories were mostly not on the Internet. They may have been one or two that were on the Internet. Most of them just came to me. It was almost like I had been given them the role to, to put these stories together. They would come to me and I would even stop people. They would say, uh, I'll tell you, the, one of the most impressive ones I had was a guy who was a, a retired U.S. Air Force colonel uh, out of Los Angeles who was at the um, the Orange County group. And he wasn't at the lecture when I, I was talking. I talked a little bit about flying the craft at the lecture. And he came after, you know, how they have a little thing at the restaurant after. And I was there. Right. And he's talking about the Orange County uh, MUFON group. Right. So this yeah. guy, his name is David, comes after. And then he comes into the restaurant and they say, hey, David, David, you should have been in Grant's lecture. He's talking about flying the craft. Tell him about your story. And then David says to me, he says, well, you know, I, says, I think it was a dream. I said, well, everybody sort of describes it as a dream. And he said, well, you know, and I said, they said, David, David, tell them what you do. And I said, oh, OK, what do you do? And he said, oh, I fly, I fly planes. And I said, oh, my son's a pilot and my father's a pilot. My father's a pilot with the Canadian government for many years. I said, what kind of planes do you fly? And he said, oh, he mentions this and that. And then he said, F-16s. And I said, you flew F-16s? And he said, yeah, I'm a retired U.S. Air Force colonel. I flew combat in Iraq. And I went, sit down and tell me that you're a dream. <laughs> and, <laughs> I bet and, you did. and every single one of them was the same. It was like people reading off a cue card. It was the same story. They would find themselves almost, there was only one that I can remember. They would find themselves on the craft. It wasn't like they were taken on the craft. It was suddenly, boom, they're on the craft. And they're standing there, and there's people behind them, which turns out to be a very important thing. There's people behind them, and they don't know whether it's humans or whether it's aliens. And so this David guy says, I'm in the craft. I'm standing there. Well, hold on a second. Yeah. I just want to interject that, you know, I've been on a craft. I don't, I have one tiny memory of maybe flying one, Yeah. but it's so small. There's no point in even getting into it, but there were people behind me in the craft too. Yeah. So I'll get into that, that little detail is so telling to me, yeah. uh, but, but, but before we go on free dreamlanders, we are going to take a little break right now. So, Enjoy these ads, and for God's sake, support this show. If you're listening to the commercial end of it, we need you very badly. I mean, I'm, it's, it costs me a lot of money, and I, you know, I can't just be left sitting here. And with me and the few subscribers that we do have, we need you too. Have you ever read Communion? Or have you never read Communion? It's out in a new edition very powerful, a subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful, sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me it's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full in audio format. And believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it. And I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion. Listen to it. Read it. Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. Okay, it's time to get back to uh, the um, the MUFON meeting and the F-16 pilot. Okay, so he says these these people are there's there's somebody behind him. Two, he thinks it's like two people behind him or two entities or there's somebody behind him, and um, he's standing there and in the middle of the craft, and then he hears them say. Okay, go ahead and do it. And then he says, which I've heard many times, the person would say, I don't know what to do. And then they said, you know what to do, just do it. And he looks over at this, this panel on the wall, and he goes and he puts his hands on this panel, and he said, suddenly 
He's flying the craft. He said, it's like I'm flying the, 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 it's like flying an F-16. He said, I'm flying the craft. And he says, and everybody says the same thing. You put your hand on the panel and you suddenly realize that the craft is alive. The craft is biological and you become one with the craft. And the craft is thinking and whatever you think is what the craft thinks. You become one with the craft. So he described this. He became one with the craft. He, he knew what the craft was thinking and he was flying. And whatever he thought was what the craft would do. And the other thing was, was this oneness idea that you hear over and over again, this oneness, that he, there was this oneness thing. So David is standing there with his hands on the panel and then he takes the one hand off. And he's waiting for the craft to stall, and he's going to put his hand back down again. He takes his, he's got his hand off, and nothing happens. Then he takes the other one off, but he leaves it only a couple inches above the panel, and he's ready to slam his hand down. And he said he's got both hands up, and he said he's flying the craft, and whatever he thinks is where the craft is going. And I heard this story over and over, and it's this absurd story that doesn't really make any sense. And as you described in the introduction, you would have people like Susie Hansen, who actually said that when they, when they trained her, they would train her with a stick, and then they would train her with her mind. And she said it was much easier to do with her mind. When she had the stick, she kept flipping the flying saucer upside down and stuff like that. And she said that when they took her home, she said that we're going to go through the earth. And she said, you're going to go through the earth. And she panicked. She just she just went crazy. She said, you're going to go through the earth. Yeah. And she believed because she lives in New Zealand, there was leaves off the trees where she was. And she believed that she must have been in North America somewhere. And uh, so they're going to go through the earth. And she said they said something about they're going to change the vibration and don't worry about it. And she describes this going through the earth, going back to New Zealand through the earth. And this gets into stories and sort of pop into your mind. The idea that they describe now with these these latest uh, military videos, the one where the, tra the the object goes into the water and it doesn't leave any splashes. And you hear this all the time that the, the craft goes into the water. And there's no wake, there's nothing. Or crafts are moving in the in the air, and there's no there's no uh, sonic wave and stuff like that. And this is this idea that they can they can go into solid objects, and people will describe this, and it's it's just so bizarre that there's no way you would make this story up. And people would even describe things that that gave us ideas that. As Gary Nolan says, I'm, I'm interested in the five percent that don't fall inside the bell curve. When he's when somebody's doing an, uh, a student is doing something, he'll say to them, "Why is that out, out there? Why, what's that thing doing out there?" And they go, "I don't know." And he said, "Well, that's where the like that's where the Nobel prizes are. When you get to the five percent of the anomalies, that's where the the things are." And what people would just start to describe is very very bizarre things. They would say, for example, the one guy said, um, "They said, where would you like to go?" And this is a guy's name is Ron Johnson. He's out of uh, Utah. He's a very strict Mormon guy. And he said, oh, I would like to I would like to see the Milky Way from a distance. And they said, OK, uh, you sit there and it's within you, which they say over and over again. It is within you. It's almost like Jesus saying the kingdom of God is within you. So they say it's within you. Go within yourself. You have to imagine it. So Ron is sitting in this chair and he's got his fingers in the end of this chair and he's holding on to the end of this chair. He said it was like molded, like it was actually built for him. And he said he sat there and he said it was a one second of very intense G-force. And he said he looked out the window and there was the Milky Way off in the distance, which would mean that that's like 50 to 70,000 light years that he went in one second, which means that if that story is at all true, there's something wrong with our ideas of time and space. If that can happen, and people would say the same thing. Uh, John Ramirez talks about this, uh, about yes, he does. the ability to instantly go to another place. And, and it's always this thing. It's, it's within you. You've got to imagine it's within you. And that's where, if you've seen the, the Sufi expression, you see yourself as a puny form when within you, the entire universe is enfolded. And that comes to the idea is, is, is the universe out there or is it within us? Uh, like the remote viewers. How do the remote viewers instantly go to the target? You give them the target, seven, six, four, six, three, two, one, and the person goes, Oh, I'm at the target. They're instantly there. Are they going out to the target or are they actually going within themselves? Is everything within them? So you'd see this over and over again that people said they could instantly move from one point of the universe to another instantaneously, but they were always told it's within you. You've got to imagine it. It's within you. And then you mentioned this thing which came out later, this thing about um, the people behind them. So I heard this over and over again. And then I heard uh, Jim Semivan describe it, and suddenly the bell came on. So Jim Semivan, Jim Semivan says, described that as well. 
Yeah, he described it to to an interview with James Ian Dolly. So James Ian Dolly is trying to get him to talk about his experience, and Jim really doesn't want to talk about it. And so James is sort of digging. He says, "Well, he says, was there any telepathy involved?" And of course, it's all it's all consciousness. It's all telepathy. There's no stuff. So it's all this consciousness stuff. So he said, he said, "Is there was there any telepathy involved?" And he says, "Yeah, you know." He says, "That was actually very strange. I remember standing beside my wife, and there was this entity behind me." And it had this, give me the exact quote. He said, there was this entity behind me with this guardian type thing going on. And as soon as he said that, I said, oh, that's Michael Newton. Michael Newton describes the 7,000 people when you die, you go in front of a council and you have a life review. And they ask you, how did it work out, Whitley? And then you say, oh, I was going to do this, but I forgot. And I didn't do that. And I'm, I'm going to do better next time. And, and everybody says they're, they're going to do better next time. And when, when they're there, the spirit guide stands on behind them on the left side. So, of course, I asked James Ian Dolly, I said, ask Jim, what's, what side was the entity on? Was it on the left or the right? And you hear this over and over again. And then you start wondering, what is this behind the person? Because I even have a new one, Philip um, Kinsella from Great Britain. And he describes how the, 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 the gray wanted them out of the ship. They do the, the probe thing that, that you had this unfortunate experience with. And yeah. then he, he was, he was insulted and he was, he was angry. And then they yeah. said, okay, leave. And, and, and he said, what do you mean leave? And then he said, like something pushed him and he was outside the craft and he was falling. And he said there was two grays, little grays beside him, but he was not allowed to look at them and they were behind him. And I'm thinking, well, if you weren't allowed to look at them, how do you know they were grays? But they were behind him. And then he came to the ground and that's when he went and he said that he went back and into his room through the glass. And he said, suddenly I, I realized that I, my body was still there, and it went into my body. And that's what Betty Andreasen said as well. Betty Andreasen comes back, and she says, I was so happy to be home. I saw the trailer, and I went in, and my husband was still sleeping on his side of the bed. And I looked, and I was sitting on the side of the bed. And I went into my body, and I, and then, then you start, that's the whole question with this thing, is what's really going on here? Is this out of body? Is this physical? What's really going on here? Okay, we're going to talk about that a lot more, folks. Uh, Free Dreamlanders, we'll be right back. Where is the unknown country? Is it out there in the stars? Or is it also somewhere else? Is it in us, in you? Unknown country, join us today. Go to unknowncountry.com right now and join us. Join the questions, join the search, join the adventure, unknowncountry.com, there's no place like it in the world. We're talking to Grant Cameron, his new book. UFO Sky Pilots, Pilots of Peace and Oneness, a brain-busting book. It's wonderful. No other way to describe it. Okay, now, just before we left the air for our free Dreamlanders, we were beginning to explore the question, what is going on here? Is this physical or non-physical? And, you know, I may weigh in on this because I have got some ideas of my own having not flown one. I have, as I said, I think I said earlier, I have a split second memory of flying one. But I have quite an elaborate memory of being in one, um, which, I, of course, I thought I, I'd like to steal this. And I heard from behind me, that's how I, I knew there was someone behind me. I heard this. <laughs> well, that's not. And so I figured, oh, not probably not tonight. Uh, in any case, let's go on. Out of body or physical? Yeah. The way I've started to look at it is, is the, uh, in so many years, and you probably found the same thing, that the more you look at it, people think, oh, you know, it would be very simple or we're missing one piece or whatever. And the more you look at it, the more complex it actually gets. And almost like the less physical it seems to become, it's, you start to see this really weird stuff. And what I do is I go back to quantum physics and you take a look at what Max Planck said. 
who is the father of quantum physics. And he said, nothing gets behind consciousness. And that was the second download I had in 2017, which was very long. And I had was madly writing. I was in the middle of a street. And I'm writing all the stuff down on a piece of paper. And what they said to me is, if the world is made out of little nuts and bolts, that's one world. But it's made out of consciousness. Then that's a completely different world. And all the rules will change. And that's the whole idea. Is the world made out of material, which creates consciousness, or is it made out of consciousness, which makes matter? And the, most of the quantum people in the early days, Heisenberg and von Neumann and uh, Bohr and Max Planck, they all believed that consciousness was primary, that consciousness created matter. And so that's the way I've started to see the universe, that God did not create the heaven and the earth. God created the sparks of the divine, and we're the ones that are creating the heavens and the earth because it's all made out of consciousness. And so it's this idea that conscious that matter is a very low vibrating state of consciousness, but it's all consciousness. And these people are in a higher state of vibrating consciousness. And when they move us, they take us into their world. Or as they said, when they come into our world, there's a, an experiencer by the name of uh, uh, Yossi Ronan out of um, uh, Israel who talks about how they talk to him. They said, when we come into your world, we have to take on a body. We have no choice. We don't need a body, but we take on a body. You can do the same thing. You just don't know it. So when they move us, they and I believe more and more what they're doing is they're actually taking the uh, the etheric body out, and they can actually create physical stuff with the etheric body, but they take the etheric body out, and they take us into their higher vibrating state, and then they, they move us back into their state. So in their state, these things that are very absurd, like some of the stories that I was told are the, the head of MUFON for Japan had uh, was an expert on meditation, and he had learned how to uh, use his meditation and go out of body and go to the craft, and he would have these interactions with the greys. And I say to people, if you think you, we've got this technology and that this is very simple, the stuff these people describe, and his ex description was they he was on board the ship, and they said, they can make the ship as big as they want. And many of the people, these 36 people, would describe this. Chris Bledsoe described this. Uh, Hal Putoff talked about this. Hal Putoff said, you know, I'd like to know, how can the craft be bigger on the inside than outside? Len Stringfield talked about a, cra a craft that was on the ground that they had recovered near uh, two hours from Norton Air Force Base that a photographer had been taken to. And the photographer said it was hanging from a, uh, a crane in a netting. And he went in and he was to photograph the panels. And he went in there and he said he could have taken a football and thrown it in any direction and not hit a wall. And yet it was only the, the, uh, the regular size. Uh, Terry Lovelace said it was as big as a football stadium on the inside. And so people would describe this, that the craft was huge on the inside. And they described, the, a lot of them would say that the, the beings say we can make the craft as big as we want, which goes back to the first woman, uh, Pam Dupuis, which she told me the second part of the absurd story. She said they've got crafts that are as big as a solar system. And this is this idea that they can make it as big as they want on inside because it's built out of consciousness. So they can build this thing. And the guy from MUFON actually told this very bizarre story. He said he was in the craft, and the being wanted to get something, and he put his hand up towards the wall, and this book just came out of the wall. The wall just it just appeared out of the wall, and he had this book. And that's the kind of stuff you see, or you see this, the crossover to spiritual stuff. Ron Johnson, I mentioned this, this very strict Mormon guy, had an experience three times where they took him to the spirit world. And his being was called LB. Most people have one being that they deal with, which again serves hints at a spirit guide. So LB takes him to the spirit world three times. The first time it's sort of like a, a lower level where there's nothing really moving around or whatever. Second level, he's with his mother. He can't see his mother, but he can hear his mother and talk to his mother. The third level, he's on, he's in the, almost like a, he, a heavenly description. He's in his grassy field. His mother's there. He's talking to his mother. He sees this little thing and he looks like a temple in Nephi, Utah sitting there and he's to his mother says, Ron, when you die, you're going to get a room in this building. And he sees the building sort of open up and he can see his father inside in a room there. And she said, I've got a room in there. She takes him into the building and he walks into the building and he says to me, he says, it's, it's unreal. He said it was like 10 to 100 times the size inside as outside. And I go, hey, 
This is, is this the spirit world or is this uh, inside a flying saucer? That's what the flying saucer people say. And so you see these crossovers and this stuff that's totally bizarre. Like if you're going to make up a story, you're not going to say absolute craft. You're not going to say it was as big as a football field or a football stadium. You're not going to say that it was 100 times the size inside. All these things are absurd stories that yes. if you get 36 people all telling the same story, you've got to say, we better start listening to these people. This could be actually happening. Well, what's so fascinating here is that you have to ask yourself two questions. A, what is a craft? Yeah. And B, what is consciousness? Yeah. And, you know, I'm, let's explore. Let's explore. In fact, uh, we're going to do another brief break for our free dreamlanders. Uh, free dreamlanders, I love you. And I'm going to love you even more when you're not watching the free part of the show. We'll be right back. Did we misunderstand the teaching of Jesus? Perhaps a long time ago, perhaps almost as soon as he rose from the dead, we mistook him for something that he may not have been. But we do know one thing. He was one of us. His life and his resurrection Reveal the power of the good in all of us. And his teaching shows anybody, whether they have religious beliefs or not, how to find that goodness and live it. Get Jesus a New Vision. It's available as an audio book. It is available as a paperback and as a Kindle. Get it today. This is a brief excerpt from an interview with two contactees who had an 11-day close encounter experience and are now willing to speak about it, really, for the first time. To hear their whole interview and many others, subscribe to unknowncountry.com. Here's the excerpt. Did you see the man's face? Yes, actually that one is very clear to me. It was kind of longish and uh he didn't look he didn't look completely human, but he because he had very very thin hair almost non-existent, but he was young. I believe that it was kind of blonde. And he was very tall like Six, at least six feet, and he was so thin that he looked kind of strange. And what happened then? Well, he wanted me to to go with him or to stay with him. He wanted me to stay with him on the ship. And I'd been married for six months, and I wasn't about to go running off to stay on the ship. Now, surely you want more. You must want more. And there is more. Not only this contactee interview, but many others, many of them just as extraordinary, on unknowncountry.com, plus everything else that we offer, my audio books, the meditations, the talks on the key. William Henry's wonderful revelation show in its entire run, Anne Strieber's brilliant and magical mysterious powers, and so much more. Hours and hours of listening pleasure. Learn from the meditations on the site. Really learn because they're real and they're valuable. Subscribe to unknowncountry.com right now. Go to unknowncountry.com. Click on the subscribe tab. We are running very low on new subscribers now, and that should not be, it should not be happening. So you do it. You go there and you do it today. We're talking to Grant Cameron, his new book, UFO Sky Pilots, Pilots of Peace and Oneness, and not Pilots of War and Destruction, interestingly enough. Uh, pilots of Peace and Oneness. Uh, and we were just going to discuss what is a craft. Let's start there, and we'll work our way 
into the relationship between consciousness and physical reality in a few minutes, because that's a big part of understanding what is going on here. Uh, so let's let's tackle this. What is a craft now with your knowledge of your 48 years of UFO research and this material? What do you think a craft is? Okay, so I, I start looking at it, and then I, it goes back almost to this uh, same idea that that consciousness creates matter. It's almost like the famous uh, Chandler Seth, who started the New Age movement, the, the famous Chandler from the 60s and 70s. Uh, Seth said, you manifest everything around you. There is no other rule. And we don't believe that because we think there's separation between us and everything else. We think that we're victims, that there's things around us that are happening to us and uh, this sort of thing. But if you have the idea that consciousness is primary, then you start looking at things that start to make sense. For example, a craft. So in 1890, uh, people would say this thing about reality. I mean, if you see, if 1895, some, some, you and I are standing there and we see a wooden ship fly by and it has, uh, sails on it and it has big propellers and it has huge lights that are shining down when there are no batteries in the, in the 1890s. They were really not developed yet, batteries. And these lights are shining down and then the, the craft comes down and there's a guy hanging off a rope with a, with a beard and we say, where are you from? And he said, I'm from Mars. So that's a craft. And then in, in the World War II, the craft suddenly changes to Foo Fighters. And we're, now we're describing Foo Fighters. And then after the, the Second World War, suddenly they're green fireballs. And then after that, the, the Adamski crafts. Remember with the balls underneath the, underneath the craft? Then they become ordinary type of crafts. Then they become triangles. Now they're like these orbs. That's the big discussion now is these orbs that are moving around. And the craft seems to morph, almost like John Alexander said. The, the phenomenon not only knew what we were going to do, it knew what we were about to do, and that the thing never morphed. It never did the same thing twice. And when we set up to try to capture it on film, it would happen off camera. And it was this idea that it keeps, it's almost like it's evolving along a pattern, and we're evolving with it, and more and more. And, and the, the absurd things are to make us look at this. They're, they're to make us try to figure it out. And it's the idea that if it's absurd, it can't, you, you can't get rid of it. Your, your, your left brain is, is trying to figure out, like, what is this? Like, what's going on here? And and, and that's what they want us to do. They they want us to do these bizarre things. But uh, that's where people will say, no, there's a craft is a is a is a, a material object, and it, and it is a material object because it comes in, and it does materialize. But if you look at John Ramirez, and he told his story, I think a bit on yours, and then you put me in contact with him, and I had contact with him, and he basically yeah, said right. there was no craft at all in in his term. He didn't he didn't remember craft. He was able to move to this ice planet that he goes to, and he said it, it really didn't. There was no craft involved, and that's the whole thing. Is is we sort of uh, create this kind of stuff, and it's almost like the the example I sort of give is Leslie Kane, which is one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard, where Leslie Kane goes to physical seance. I get to interview Leslie Kane, and my other partner wants to ask all these questions. I just want to ask one question. Leslie, did that hand actually appear? She said, yeah, it appeared. I said, was that actually real? She said, yeah, it was there. And it happened more than once. It happened three or four times where she'd be sitting there and this, this sort of watery stuff would come up. She's sitting at a small table with a light under it, a red light under it. And this sort of watery stuff would come up and this hand would start to materialize in front of her. And she said, I touched it. I shook the hand. It, it was, it was, it was a real hand. She said it was as real as any hand I've ever touched. I could feel the knuckles. I could feel the tendons. And then the hand banged twice on the table and then it just sort of dematerialized. And that's what I say they're doing. They can materialize no. matter. They can come into the material world, take on a physical body, do whatever they got to do, and then they just manifest, back, go, go back to where they, they come from. And I think they're just vibrating at a higher level than we are. You know, I uh, have been in Stuart Alexander's seance also, the one that Leslie yeah. has spent. She's in it every week. And I experienced not that manifestation, but other manifestations that were incredible and impossible yeah. to fake. So it is real that this he's undoubtedly the best physical medium alive now. And uh, what you're talking, what I can folks, I can say from my own witness that what he's talking about is is true. Leslie, I know Leslie extremely well. She's a close friend. And. It happened. Yeah, it ha what happened to me was that there's was this spirit horn, they call them. These sort of things like a big lightweight kind of uh, funnel like thing. And um, it came up off the floor and came and 
floated in front of my face. There was nothing attached to it at all. Top, bottom, side, at all. It was made of, it was not possible for anyone to manipulate a magnetic field so precisely. And then I thought, I thought in my head, this can't be real. And it moved to my face and rubbed up and down on my nose. And I thought, my God, it heard my thoughts and it's rubbing my nose in it. And then uh, there was someone with me and I said, go to her. And it went over to her and moved up and down in front of her, then went up and went all around the ceiling, then came down again and landed where it had started. And that's not, there's no way that didn't happen, folks. So I'm bearing witness here. He's talking about something so weird that we can't believe it. But on some level, it's real. And it gets me back to Ann Streber's incredibly important short statement. This has something to do with what we call death. And, you know, uh, can you expand on the, is this a journey into the world of the dead? Is that where UFOs are actually from? Grant, just riff on that for a while, because you're the, one of the yeah. best riffers in the world. So. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I think it, it they're they're teaching us. I think that's what it is. You wrote the book about the school, and I think that's what this is. Like, if you were to go back, you know, people take it very seriously about what's happening here and now. But for example, say you learned that three lifetimes ago you got abducted. I mean, would you freak out about it? Would you you'd, you go go like, oh, that was pretty interesting? And then one life you got stabbed by a by a, a soldier or something like that. Well, that's pretty cool. And you realize that if multiple lives, that's the other one they gave me is if it's one life then that's one thing but if it's multiple lives everything changes and if it's multiple lives it's all experience it's you got abducted in this one you agreed to come in to raise consciousness and and uh, with the the ufo phenomena whatever it is and in one lifetime you uh, were a king and one, one lifetime you were a professor at oxford as someone told me i was and stuff like that and it all becomes sort of like experience so i think that's basically what they're doing And I actually, you you talked about this weird aspect. I actually have released another book. I've released three books at the same time. But the other book I uh, released is actually called Weird. And it's about manifestations and apports. And that's this whole idea that, that around experiencers, you see people on board the ship where they bring on dead people and they bring on dead dogs and and i i don't think i think i have an example where somebody wasn't angry they're always angry like when they they, they're playing with me they brought my dead the one woman they brought my dead husband on there and i was furious i said i don't believe it's my dead husband uh turn turn around pull up his shirt he's got a birthmark and they pulled up his shirt and there was the birthmark and she was just furious so the one guy brought his dog on there and he was he was so happy to see his dog he's playing with his dog and then then he said he was mad like oh you're playing with my my thoughts and stuff like that and he, they believed it was a setup and you see this over and over again that they bring the the dead people on there or they take you to the spirit world as they did to ron johnson and you see these other bizarre things like ron johnson's in the spirit world and they take him his mother takes him into this building that he said is like 10 to 100 times the size inside and at the far end of the ta- the room there's a, a table and on the tables are these crystals and and his mother says, oh, here, these are crystals that are, are people's lifetimes. And you look at them at a certain angle and you can see your past and future lives and you can plan things. And he said, oh, that's interesting. And he, she said, you don't have a crystal yet. When you die, your crystal will come out of this table. And he, and then he, he saw, oh, my dog's crystal's there. And he looked in his dog's crystal and he's looking at it. He said, I never knew what happened to my dog. He said, but I, I went and I, I um, looked in the crystal and I saw that my neighbor had shot the dog. And then I'm thinking to myself, hey. That's that's UFO cover up live. That's 1988 documentary where the Falcon stands up and he says the most interesting thing I saw in my entire career of UFO stuff was when the aliens had the crystal and they had this crystal and they showed it to you and you could show it. And I think Linda Howe actually said that they they claimed that they could show the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in this crystal and that you could look back through time in this crystal. And then you see Michael Newton, the same thing. Michael Newton describes, he is the famous for the 7,000 regressions, life between lives, where he takes someone into the last life, lets them die, and then takes them into the spirit world. And they describe what happens in the spirit world, how they get there, how they leave, and what they do in the spirit world. And they go 
to libraries and in the libraries they have these books and they open the book up and there's a crystal in the book and they look at it at a certain angle and they can see the, the their past and future lifetimes and they plan what they're going to do in the next lifetime. I'm going to work on envy, I'm going to work on this, I'm going to work on UFOs or raise consciousness or, or whatever you plan to come into the world to do. And so you see this over and over again, these, these, these things start to make sense or the idea where someone's standing behind you and then you're thinking, you're, I'm thinking to myself, is that a spirit guide? Is this all like a setup that the spirit guide sets up for you, like a training session, almost like where you mentioned this thing that always impressed me, where Anne comes back and gives you the message. Whitley, I am no longer Anne, but I'll always be Anne to you. And that's this idea of reincarnation that we come in, they, Anne plays a role on you with the stage, then Anne leaves. All the world's a stage on Hollywood. Everybody's an, every, all the, all the, People are actors are uh, and have their entrances and exits, and each man plays many roles. And that's this idea that we're playing these roles. And this is maybe a role that you and I have agreed to play, that we were, before we were born, we said, oh, we're going to come in. And Whitley, you say, you're going to write some books. You're going to do this. I'm going to do this. And we have this plan that we're going to do. We're going to try to raise the consciousness. We're going to get together. And we're going to have a couple of interviews. And you start to see this whole thing that it may not be as random as we think it is. We think, oh, we just ended up in the world. And I ended up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, which is the coldest city in the world. And how unfair is that and we start to you know whine about the world around us and instead of realizing that we came in and that we may be putting the stones in our own path that some things are all things are lessons what are we learning what are we bringing to the world are we making the world a better place than when we when we came into the world and that sort of thing and I, know, to me, it all becomes much more spiritual me. and less physical yeah that, that's a huge question for me because I always think to myself are my books helpful yeah. are they Am I am I leading people astray or am I or, or am I revealing a, a useful truth? I, you know, and I'm trying my best is all I can say. But, it, you know, I, I always think to myself, well, if your best isn't good enough, then how do you face that later on when you're in the afterlife? I have a weird sort of off the wall question. Have you ever had or aware? Are you aware of your any past lives in personally? Of yours. No, I just had I just had a reading done with Kay Randall May, who I got a reading. I was I was diagnosed back last March with only a couple of weeks to live. I was uh, diagnosed with a uh, malignant mel melanoma, which is the same thing that uh, uh, Ship died from. And yeah. uh, um, it was advanced and they basically wrote it off. I had oncologists and radiologists and doctors and they all absolutely sure this is the thing. And and uh, they only had a little while to live. So I had a rating done by Kay Randall May. I don't know if you've ever interviewed her. No, she, but I'm going to now. Go ahead. Yeah. So she she had she uh, Kit Green had stated that in terms of the material that she produces, he said, I can't tell how accurate she is in terms of her UFO stuff. She wrote a book on quantum physics about how the universe starts and stuff like that. But he said, when it comes to medical stuff, she's 95 to 100 percent accurate. So I figured, oh, I'll get a I'll get a reading from her. What have I got to lose? So two weeks after I was diagnosed, I went to Kay Randall May and then I asked her and she said, nope, nope, you got no cancer. Nope, I don't. They're, they're wrong. No, that's not what it is. And uh, that kept that kept me together for six, seven months until they finally made the diagnosis and said, no, it was a nerve sheath tumor. We they didn't even apologize for making a, a bad diagnosis, but it took them oh, seven months. And, <laughs> said, oh, you're going to die. And then months later, yeah, oh, we were wrong. So. Yeah, they didn't even say they're wrong. That was the whole thing. They just said, this is what it is. But she told me that I had been working with the Akashic Records and that I had chosen to come back. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. But how do you verify that? And she said that I had been uh, at Oxford University last century, that I had been a, a professor there or something at Oxford. And she basically said that you have, uh, you, you're, you're interested in all this kind of stuff, what I'm doing. The whole thing of mysteries and solving stuff and, and being a scholar and all this kind of stuff. And then she would describe my uh, heart murmur, which I had, a uh, bad tooth on the butt, top right hand side, which I had, uh, bad circulation in the legs, which I had, uh, heart valve problems, which I have. She just like, well, bang, bang, bang. She just nailed it all in. Wow. A very impressive lady. I mean, very, very impressive. Well, I, folks, you will hear from her on this show if I can get her on. I'm going to get in touch with her today. Yeah. So uh, that is absolutely fascinating. Now we have we have moved a distance away from UFO sky pilots because we have been sort of navigating this shadow line between what we think of as physical reality and what we think of as the spirit world. Is there really 
any difference. I just wonder about that, Grant. Is this world that we live in something we choose to see this way? Or is it absolutely different from the spirit world? The way I look at it, like a lot of people will, because our left brain, uh, the material left brain, always wants to have things as nouns. And what I've learned is there are no nouns. If somebody says this is a noun, this is a thing, it's wrong. It's a verb. It's all alive. It's all conscious. It's all one thing. And we want to separate it as nouns. And we say there's a separation between me and you. And then you have these people who do the ayahuasca who suddenly say, oh, my goodness, everything was alive, conscious and connected. And they suddenly or, or in meditation. They suddenly realize everything's connected. So the way I see it is like water. So if you you drop in the water and you sink down to 150 feet and then you look at a, at a, at a fish and you say, what level am I on? The fish is going to go, what do you mean what level you're on? You're on the water. And the way I, desc- I would describe it is we are we are at a very low level of vibration and it's all vibration. So there's consciousness is very still. It doesn't move. And when the consciousness begins, I think the, the, the Hindus describe when when the when the vibration begins, the, the illusion begins that that that's all illusion. So we create it with this vibration and it's a very low level. So we're at the bottom of the ocean and we can't really see anything. It's all dark and we're sort of feeling around and stuff like that. And then the odd person like like. K. Randall May suddenly learns how to float and they go higher in the water and the higher they get into the water, the, the more sunshine there is and the more they can see and they go, oh, there's this, this, this. And then they go back into the darkness and they say, oh, there's this and that. And they say, no, 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 you're imagining it. And, and it's the whole idea is to get higher in the vibration that when you get to the surface of the water, that is what you would call God or whatever at the, at the, at the head, that it's, it's still and it's it's watching and it's almost like a theater so god like people will always describe i want the world to be perfect and and get rid of all this stuff and 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 i say well maybe that's not the way it is maybe we need the good the bad the 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 the, the death and all that sort of stuff like in our body 330 billion cells die every single day and do we have a compassion meditation for that no we don't care who cares about the 330 billion cells that die it's only when the ego cell is dying then it's like oh phone 911 get somebody in here like oh my goodness and and that's what we that's the whole deal that we're, we're doing is that we are, are moving up into this vibration and they're coming down to sort of help us to uh, sort of almost school us, maybe not help us because you can't do your kids schoolwork. You have to just yeah. sort of give them these hints. And people want it perfect, but it's like the idea where if you're in a perfect movie and and you say to you're with Anne and your son and you and you say oh, I love you Anne and you say I love you Whitley now I love you son and then the son says I love you Anne and then I love you I love you I love you and God says I'm gonna get out of this movie theater and he goes over to the next movie theater where it's American politics and it's Trump versus Biden and he's sitting on the edge of his seat and he goes to get some more popcorn and he's watching and it's like holy cow this is so exciting and people are learning lessons that we got we got to realize it's it's not the good and the bad it's the it's the lessons that we learn that we may choose like i always point out to people that with ufo experiences 37 percent of all ufo experiencers have had a near-death experience so what's the chances that you have two random events like you choose that you randomly got abducted off the street and then you randomly went through the front of a car windshield and had an out-of-body experience what's the chance of 37 percent and the thing is it's it means not random it's planned that you plan to go through a window and you plan to have an abduction to learn certain things about the universe that that's what makes you learn we don't learn when we're when everything's going good we say, right. oh, we're so smart. It's the bad things that actually make us move and learn things. That's very true. You know, I want to get, but we've, we have departed fairly far from the subject of the show, which is the sky pilots. Yeah. And I want to get back into it by going to the 737 captain. Yeah. And why don't you tell us about, tell us his story and by the way, folks, this is books full of these stories. It's it's a real, really fascinating stuff. And uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to get later into uh, the Wilson document and DARPA and all kinds of things that are particularly interesting to me for various reasons. Uh, that um, in any case, let's talk now about him, about the 737 pilot. Okay, that was story was given to me. I heard it from from uh, Dr. Joe Burks, who's a uh, was a um, um, emergency room doctor in San Francisco and in Los Angeles. 
And he told me this story. We were doing the whole thing with uh, portals, with uh, the, the Mission Rama and the um, the what they call um, Zendras, where they are they raise their vibration, and then the beings lower their vibration, and these these Zendras open, and then they go inside this Zendra, and they 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 can interact with these beings. And I was I was documenting these stories. I wrote two books about it about uh, all these very pe- people off the street. So Joe Burks told me the story. He said he was telling me about um, this Joe uh, Vallejo, who was a 747 uh, captain. He started with 737. He ended up being a captain on a 747. And uh, he had had this uh, Zendra experience where there was 49 people. They take him seven at a time in the Zendra. So I was talking to, I wanted to talk to him about the Zendra experience and, and what happens inside a Zendra in a portal and, and what encounters he had with beings and stuff like that. And then he said, oh, he also had this experience with flying the ship. And I said, oh, yeah, he flew the ship. And I'm thinking, well, this is really good. This is a, like a pilot who, and and then, so when he told me the story, basically it was that he had the dream. Again, he said, oh, I think it was a dream. And he told Joe, no, no, Joe, it's just a dream. I had this dream. I was flying the craft and I had my hands on this panel and I'm flying through this clouds and stuff like that. And whatever I was thinking was what the craft was doing. And I was one with the craft and the craft was alive, the whole, the whole nine yards. And um, so then he, about a year later, he comes back to Joe and he said, Joe, he said, you know, I had that dream again about flying the craft. And then Joe says, I think it's time that you uh, told the story. So he basically reiterated the story, and then he went on uh, the record with me, and he basically told me the same story, the fact that he was he was flying this craft and that he um, th- this whole idea that the craft is alive, and uh, he, he found it amazing. But, again, he, he's, he remembered it as a dream, which, again, you'll get people describing this all the time. And, and the idea that their UFO experience on board the ship seemed to be a dream. I don't know if it was on a sh- ship. I think it was just a dream. And that's where you get the Chandler Bashar. Bashar says, we come to you in your dreams because now you're in our world. And that's the whole deal is they're moving you into this vibration that, that is their vibration. And they can meet you sort of in the middle and they, and they do this kind of stuff. And you come across these very bizarre stories that, that, that link into this. I can give you one that I don't think you've, you've heard before. And that's this idea of how weird this stuff actually gets. This is a story that's told um, it happened in 2000 at Mount Shasta. This involved a, a series of about 40 people, all mostly Latinos from Mexico and from California, who had met there. And uh, there was a being by the name of Adama who promised that he would interact with them if they came to the mountain in August of 2020. And um, so we, we, I interviewed three of the nine people that were involved. They were sitting in the middle of this, what's called the sand flats up on Mount Shasta. They're having a birthday party. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden, the one woman who's an intuitive says, hey, there, Adama's here. He's here. And they said, well, how do you know? I just know he's here. And this is this idea that once you've touched the craft, once you've vi- touched the craft, you vibrate with the craft. So when the craft is around, you can feel it. It's like the craft is here. I can feel it because you vibrated. You've been one with the craft. And she said, they're here. They're here. And then they, then she said, oh, look, there's a light over there. That's where they are. And they said, nah, it's just a, it's just a light of a, somebody in, in a camp or whatever. And she said, no, no, that's them. I, I know it's them. And then she says, oh, they're saying they want us to come over there. And then she said, they said, well, they said, we're not going to go over there. It's, it's a pitch, pitch dark. And it's, it's, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And there's these potholes and stuff. And somebody's going to break their leg. And so then the intuitive says to them, to a damage, she says, you come over here. And we, that we're scared. We don't want to go over there. And then she said it was like a herd of buffaloes coming across this field. You can hear these buffaloes. And they're all, these nine people are sitting there. And all of a sudden she said, they levitated into the air. These nine people are levitated into the air and they were scared. They didn't know what to do. So they, gr- they grabbed each other's hands and they started to, they started to, uh, do these, these, uh, an oming thing. They were oming and the, the beings appeared. This Adama who has the long hair appeared and, uh, the beings started to, to, uh, to, uh, uh, do this oming thing as well. And then they said exactly what Joe Vallejo, who flown the craft said, they said, Hey, and, and when we omed, it sounded like we were underwater. And that's exactly what Joe said. When you're inside a Zendra, uh, inside these portal things, when you talk, it sounds like you're underwater. And so as soon as they said, oh, we, we, were, we were doing this oming thing, it was really weird because it sounded like we were underwater. I said, they're inside a Zendra. They didn't know. They were there. And they were floated. And then uh, they, they, were, they were there. And the, the beings were there. And I said to the one guy, they didn't want to talk at first. And then suddenly they all wanted to talk. And they were talking over each other. And the one guy from San Francisco, I said, how many beings were there? Uh, Adama, who else? And he said, 
there were as many beings as there were trees in the forest. And there were all these energy type beings. Adama was there with all these energy type beings, hundreds and hundreds of beings. And these are the kind of stories that you hear that go into this thing about in the environment where they can take you into a ship or into a Zendra. It's the same thing. Once they take you into the Zendra, people will describe the being is standing there. There's, there's seven people in the Zendra and everybody's having a different experience. Everybody's having a different conversation with, with that being and they're all in the same thing. So, uh, this is this idea that uh, we, we are just at a different vibration than they are and that they can lower themselves into our vibration, teach us a lesson, do weird things that, that sort of get our attention and then go back and then we're scrambling around trying to figure it out. And it really doesn't matter because it's, it's, it's all, it's not about are we going to save the world or anything like that. It's about are we going to learn any lessons in this life? Are we going to gain anything? Because when we leave the world, we're going to just go into another lesson. And did we learn anything? Did we make the world a better place? So it's not about making the, saving the world. I even say, and people get sort of a salt, I say, even if we destroy the world, it really doesn't matter. We're still going to come back. It's like making a baby. You just keep running that play till you get it right. They keep coming back. You keep coming back and learning your lessons. Well, you know, that's a very interesting question because we may be facing uh, an extinction yeah. and it's, it's certainly possible. And if that happens and there are no bodies to come back to, in other words, the planet can't support life anymore for at least a while. I mean, it's, it's done this many yeah. times. I mean, there, but at the end of the Permian, it was 10 million years before there was really much life on earth again. And that's a long time to wait. Yeah. Will we just have to wait until the planet can support bodies again to come yeah. back? Well, what we've got to realize is that it's a big universe. I mean, I remember I, I point out to people that science thinks they've got everything all sort of understood. But you got to remember, it was only 100 years ago, 1925, when Hubble, uh, when Hubble had a big debate with Shapley uh, about galaxies. And he said, I've discovered right. this Andromeda galaxy. And he said, no, it's not in a galaxy. I'm the authority on the cosmology. It's not a galaxy. It's a, it's a cloud inside the Milky Way. And they had this big debate about whether there's one galaxy or more. Now it's like there's two trillion galaxies. And what we've got to realize is the idea that, that it's life, death, life, death, life, death. We think we want no death. But if a cell doesn't die in the human body, that's called a cancer cell. It doesn't want to die. It keeps reproducing itself. That cells are designed to die. And, and you see in the, in the, in the Milky, in the, the universe, you see star systems colliding with each other, that it's the system of life and death, life and death, life and death, and that we move in and out, moving in and out, and that death is part of the whole process. And we want everything to be perfect. We want this, this love movie, or we want, uh, uh, you know, sitting on the side of a beach, I always say to people, they say, I'm not coming back. I'm getting off the karmic wheel and I'm not coming back. And I would say, how long do you think you can sit on a, on a, on a beach in Hawaii how many billion years do you think you can sit there and drink Mai Tais before you get bored and say, oh, I want to go back. I want to try to do something. Or if your kids are in trouble, you hear, oh, my kid, I'm not going to go back. No, I'm not going back to the world. We're always going to come back because that's what it's about. It's, it's about everybody making the world a better place. So you write books and you, you introduce information. The, the universe gets more information. It gets more knowledge. We, and, and people build buildings and we build buildings in the spiritual world. And, we, and, and the world gets more magnificent and bigger. And, and that's what the, what the universe is all about. God making this magnificent world and, and a universe that gets bigger and bigger and more complex and, and, and better. But it's we that are building it because it's all made out of consciousness. And then we get away from the victim thing. It's not like God stuck me here and I got the bad end of the stick. It's I stuck myself here and then I can't be a victim. I got to say, okay, why would I allow this to happen to me? Why, why would I this possibly and try to learn the lesson? Because when you get into a psychology situation, if you go to a psychologist, they will tell you that until you actually take responsibility and take responsibility, whether you did it or not, whether you're responsible, until you can take responsibility for the situation you're in, you're never going to get cured. As long as you can blame yeah. the mother-in-law and the dog ate the homework and, and the aliens and God and, you know, whatever, you, you're never going to get cured. And that's what it is. It's this process of learning. It's life, death, life, death. And we, we've got to realize that, that like there's a million ants for every human being and ants are dying all the time. The stuff is dying around us all over the place and that's the process that it you stuff it dies it comes and it's more evolved the next time uh, a higher uh, evolution and it moves along and the universe just gets more grand and magnificent and that's what god is watching he's sitting there with his popcorn and watching this whole movie as it unfolds as we build it for him well you know something fascinating that we don't ever think about and i i learned this from a statistician statistician who I wish would come on Dreamland, but he won't because, you know, his, yeah. his field is not yeah. related, but he's, he's got a lot of fascinating things to say. We've been friends for a while and 
He said this about the universe and about stars. He said, it is so huge that there are probably millions of stars being born and dying every second. And that's an amazing thought. Stars, these huge, nearly eternal beings are actually being born and dying in the millions every day. What an amazing place this is. I want to circle back to another question about the amazing. And that is this intimate relationship between people and what I call the visitors. And I'm not sure what you would call them. Are we part of them and they part of us? Is this even biologically another level of humanity that we are dealing with? Or is this whole idea of alien humans simply uh, something that should be part of the past, that we shouldn't even think about it that way? The, the way I, and this is just my opinion, but I believe, yes, it's all one thing. This is the main, this is, I believe, the number one message they want us to understand. It's all one thing. It's like Jan Hartson saying to Ben Rich at Lockheed Skunkworks, how did they get here, Ben? How did the propulsion system, how did they get here? And he said, what do you know about ESP? And then John Hartz says, everything in time and space is connected. And he said, that's how it works. He gets in his car and drives away. It's all one thing. It's a verb. It's just, it's, and so you have to um, look at it almost like the Newton thing, that before we come in, we plan. We think it's random, that we just sort of get stuck here. And no, no, we plan to come in. We, we get these choices, and, and we want to learn this. We want to learn that. And, and, and sometimes we have to play uh, uncomfortable roles. There's this funny story I was told. These guys are standing at a bus stop, and they're all, they're, they're all going back to Earth to, to live another life. And the one guy says, he said, what are you going to work on? The guy said, oh, I'm going to work on uh, forgiveness. And I did a level two last time, and this time I'm going to do a level nine. And then the other people say, oh, that's grand. Oh, fantastic. Oh, you're just, that's wonderful. And, and how are you going to do that? And then the guy said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm, is I'm going to have a, um, I'm, I'm going to have, have a wife and three kids. And then we're going to be uh, driving along and a school bus is going to hit us. And my wife and my kids are going to die. And then um, I'm going to be paralyzed for the rest of my life. And I'm going to forgive the guy that drove the school bus. And they said, oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. And they and they said, but that, that's grand. And then he says, oh, I just want to let you know. He says, the, the bus ain't coming back to earth until one of you guys volunteers to be the school bus driver. And then they go, no, no, we don't want to be a school bus driver. And that's what we've got to realize is that, that we may be part of this whole, we see the, the alien as, as transgressors and stuff but uh, like i say to people uh, what happens if you're born you die and then you're born and you suddenly realize you're great and and you're 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 there are you now sort of this evil guy that it, i think there's packs i think there you'll hear a lot of experiences and you you've dealt with a lot of experiences they'll say this is not my family that's my family up there they're the ones that are my family we even had a, a girl out of scotland who's a fascinating girl uh, who was talking to us last night, and she basically said, she tells me what planet she's from, she does light language, she's, uh, she ba- basically says clearly that, that, this, that this is her family, and that she's here on a mission and stuff like that. And you hear this over and over again, and you think, well, these people are kind of crazy, but when you hear it enough times from experiencers saying, there's a connection between me and them. Or this thing about the soul guide. When you hear like, uh, there's always one being, like you'll deal with a lot of beings, but most people they'll, whether it's Da, whether it's LB, or whether it's, they, they all have names for them. There's one being they deal with. And that being, and then you start to wonder like, is this really a being or is it their spirit guide who is playing this role, that they've agreed to play this role? And that's the idea of these people behind them. So when Jim Semivan said, there's this entity behind me and he has this, this guardian type thing going on, I went, hey, that's a soul guide. That's like, and, and he, and, and he didn't even answer the question about telepathy. That was his answer to the question about telepathy. Yeah. He thought that was so strange. And, and that's where you start to realize, like, if everything is, is vision that you can create whatever you want, we have created this, wor- the world that we are in and are manifesting it. And we, we, we think there's an independent world out there. And that was the big debate that, that Einstein had. I'd like to know the moon is behind me when I'm not looking. And then Bohr basically said, no, no, don't, don't argue with, 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 with God. And they had this big debate at the 1927 Solvay conference. That was what the debate was about. It was this idea. Is consciousness primary? And, and people were saying, and no, no, no. And they were fighting about this, the primary consciousness. And then what happened in, in quantum physics is that the quantum physics was so good for developing technology, electronic technology, 
And, and Richard Feynman denies he said it, but somebody said it. They said, shut up and calculate. Forget about the, the philosophical implications of the dual slit experiment and consciousness. Forget all that stuff. Just build technology. Just build stuff yeah. with the equations and don't worry you about know, that kind of stuff. It's so like Richard Feynman. I bet he said it. He just won't. He passed <laughs> on now, but it just sounds so much like him. We have come to the end of our first hour with Grant and our next half hour with Grant. We're going to go a little bit more deeply into issues concerning government and its relationship to this. Uh, we've mentioned Jim Semivan. We've mentioned uh, Lockheed Skunk Works and knowledge of ESP and its relationship to the material world, which is very startling. We're going to start with question about whether or not the government possesses a craft. And I'll have a little bit to say about that at the beginning of the of our discussion. And but free dreamlanders, I'm so glad you stayed with us this long. And I hope to see you again next week. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host, and I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.